When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about why it's rude to comment on someone being single and pretty, what to do when your team isn't including you on meetings, and how to handle a guest who won't leave. Plus, your most excellent feedback, your etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment from Emily Post's Etiquette, the 1922 edition, on dinner parties in great houses. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is so incredibly proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Dan Post-Senning had a major family event that we talked about. How did it go? How'd you do? Y'all survive? I have updates. It was awesome. Awesome. I love my little daughter. She is amazing. She <laughs> She's is a social butterfly. A social butterfly. I was going to say party animal, but I like social butterfly. <laughs> she was delighted <laughs> to be spending so much time with all of her aunts and uncles. How many people total? We had five couples. Okay, so that would be 10 people. Plus, my father was babysitting for his granddaughters, my brother's kids, so and he was 12. in and out throughout okay. the weekend with Sharon. My mother was there for one night, and then okay. there was a grandson who was traveling with one of Pooja's so uncles. Thirty-nine, carry the three. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> but y'all had fun. It worked. It went well. It did. Oh, I'm so glad. And pretty much as planned, we had set the stage and everybody else brought their good spirits and lively participation. And there was really a reunion of siblings from... From Pooja's parents' generation. Exactly. Yeah, and okay. in some ways, it was my job as a host to remind myself to stay out of the way. Yes. <laughs> to, to l- Just let them reunite. <laughs> and, and let everyone enjoy their company. Yeah. So Anisha was delighted to be the center of attention and was smiling and cooing and was collapsing at the end of every day. <laughs> she was just exhausted. It's tough being loved, you know? It's tough being loved. <laughs> it, is a, it is a rough life. <laughs> And we had sort of an etiquette moment we as the weekend an... wound down. Daniel Post setting great segue into the other thing we were going to talk about this morning. Go for it. Tell us what happened. Well, everyone was having such a good time. Nobody wanted to leave. Yes. And that's a problem, we know. There had been a planned Sunday departure, kind of midday, and completely fine from a hosting perspective. In many ways, that departure just... It lingered. It went on and on throughout the afternoon, and we ended up with a much later departure than we anticipated, and it left my wife with a slightly difficult choice to make. Because I FaceTimed Dan and Pooj, actually, to give them some good news. Uh, FaceTime entrance. Yes, thank you, thank you. Pooj and I had been talking because I was going to be seeing her later at Anna, my sister's baby shower that afternoon. But then I showed up and Pooj wasn't there and I heard the news. She had been thinking that as the weekend wound down, she would maybe make a a slightly early departure and attend this shower. And it it became really apparent sort of around lunchtime that everyone was still going to be there. And then the question became, was she going to take Anisha and bring her to the shower? And if she didn't... Could she leave you as a host hosting all your in-laws? Like, how does that look to the rest of the family? If she didn't bring the baby, it was going to be a very quick visit at the shower. If she did bring her, was it going to be an imposition on the shower host? What was the... The The etiquette there. The etiquette around kids at a shower. (laughs) It was a difficult, difficult choice for her. And she was wrestling with it and couldn't decide what to do. And I was... Sort of uh, playing both voices. I was talking to her about the pros and cons. She she was really conflicted. She did not know what to do and um, ended up calling and talking to the hosts and essentially begging out, excusing herself. She just couldn't really rightly leave what she was doing. And 
I thought your mother, who was a co-host of The Shower, and your sister were incredibly gracious <laughs> and incredibly generous in, in their understanding. But you're missing a piece here. You're missing, what, what, what you're missing the part where Pooja's mom was kind of helping her counsel figure out debate between what would work, what wouldn't. And, you know, you're trying to pay respect to quite a lot of relatives. You've got the oldest member of the Gupta family there. And this is really a family reunion moment. So... It's like, here's the thing where which family do you try to honor or respect or do this or that to? And I love the fact that when Alka hadn't realized that it was a baby shower for my sister, um, and when she found that out, her immediate reaction was, go to that baby shower, like honor that family too. Like it was so, so generous. And by then the timing wasn't going to work out and that's fine. But it's when both parties are offering the generosity of go do the thing that might be more important or that hasn't been you know, attended yet, you know, when both parties do that, then the person caught in the middle, Pooja, can make a decision she feels confident and comfortable with. Like, I mean, but until that moment, she's like got guilt and she's got like uh, alliances and she's got like her own personal, how am I going to take care of the baby throughout all this? It's a 40 minute drive everywhere we go. There's a lot that came into that little nexus of a moment. In the end, she was having support from three people, you, my mother, and her mother. (laughs) It really was nice when she was faced with that difficult situation, as you point out, to have understanding on both sides of the equation. And it was going to be a tough choice for her no matter which way she went with it. And that made it so much easier. Way to find the good etiquette in the heart of that difficult situation. Very cool. The baby shower was great. <laughs> so, so you know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the baby shower was great. Um, I ate the most wonderful gluten-free cake I've ever had in my life. Holy moly. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like so moist and delicious and the icing was beautiful. It was one of those naked cakes where they put the icing on very thinly so mm-hmm. that you can see the actual cake underneath the icing. It's very pretty. Very, Ooh, very pretty. But I it was it. so anapost. It was beautiful food and flowers over everything and lovely country garden setting and well this is why yeah. i was a little voice in my wife's ear saying go yeah yeah it's gonna be Cause, fun cause just it'll be go nice. we'll yeah. take care of it it'll be okay everyone will understand and I, I really wanted her to feel good about whatever choice that she made and i know your sister is such an incredible host i loved your sister's <laughs> yeah, wedding and i could just imagine <laughs> yeah. her baby shower being a delightful affair. no it really it really was so we survived we survived we survived our weekend but we're back at work now we are back at work now shall we get to some questions i think we Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. 
Awesome Etiquette is so pleased to be answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Our first question today is called Shockingly Single and Pretty. Hello, Post Cousins. I absolutely love your podcast. I recommend it to basically everyone I know. I also have the latest edition of your book. I love, love, love it. Yay! Thank you so much. Anyway, here's my question. I rejoined the dating pool a few months back and have been using online dating. Recently, a gentleman who was pursuing me asked me a question that I thought was kind of rude. I'm not even quite sure what he was expecting to find out by asking it. Why the heck are you on a dating site? You're ridiculously pretty, he said. I'm sure he wasn't trying to be rude and simply complimenting me. However, a question like this or something else similar, such as, you're so pretty, why are you single, seems rather judgmental and insensitive. Since when does someone's appearance mean that they should or should not be on a dating site? I replied to him by simply stating that I tend to dislike who I meet in bars and left it at that. But a large part of me wanted to tell him that it was a rude question. This hasn't been the first time that my friends or myself have been asked a question like this. And so in the future, if a question of this nature gets tossed at me again, is there a polite response that also informs the asker that the question is impolite? Or is this just impolite? Or is this just a grin and bear it situation? I and my friends would sure love a sample script. Thank you so much. More than just a pretty face. Oh, more than just a pretty face. Let's go have a cocktail. I am like so in your camp. I get comments like this a lot, not because of the pretty part, but because of the single part. And your first question was, what did he want me to respond? Probably actually nothing. It is his way of giving you a compliment. That is exactly it. It's more like an exclamation of just like, I just can't believe you're on here. To me, you're so pretty. I can't believe you're single. And I am with you that I think it's a really strange comment. I think people don't realize just how much emphasis is placed on looks in the dating world. It's funny because we all know it because you're attracted to people you're attracted to, right? But the emphasis on the idea that if you're pretty, you shouldn't be single is really flawed because pretty people might not want to be partnered up. Now, granted, you were on a dating site, so clearly you're looking. But, like, it just, it's really irritating. I, I agree with the, the irritation here. I've heard you complain about this kind of thing oh, before. Yeah. And I definitely think you're on to something when you cue on that. You don't think he's really Correct. looking for a reply. I do think that you're right that he means this to be a compliment. Yep. And I go straight to a first point of etiquette, which is that, Compliments are incredibly powerful. They're great tools. You want to use them well. They're free. They oftentimes, when used well, make people feel really good. Absolutely. That's the heart of good etiquette. We talk about rude as making people feel bad, but to keep the focus on the positive, really good etiquette really makes people feel good. And when you're complimenting people on their appearance, it's tricky territory. Those aren't always the best compliments, even though they can feel like they are. You want to go for personality and substance of the person first. And then it's just an, an added bonus that they're really pretty. Um, just out there in the dating world, as you pursue people, really try to go after substance first and look second. I was on a date recently, and the gentleman had said hello and everything like that. And then it was like a few minutes into the date, like a, a little ways in. He said, gosh, you know, you're just you're really beautiful tonight. And that, to me, that felt like an appropriate time and way to compliment on looks. You know what I mean? This, where you're tying it to why someone is or isn't single, that's where he's having his problem. That's where this does become rude. I want to commend more than just a pretty face for not putting rudeness back on him. There are always kind of those questions. For some people, it's about their weight. For some people, we hear, you know, skin color quite a lot. Where are you from? You know, the assumptions that come with, oh, you know, you you must be doing so much to, to lose that weight. You must be working out so hard right now. People think think it's curiosity. They think it's complimentary. And unfortunately, it doesn't land that way with the person receiving it. It can be hard to not say something rude back or judgmental back. And you're going to have to pick what times you choose to engage and confront or teach and what times you choose to let it slide. And I mean, there are plenty of times where I say, oh, I didn't realize the two were connected. And that is a response I have often given to the connection of being single and being pretty. I didn't realize they were connected. 
it's my way of giving a little edge to it. <laughs> if only it were so simple. If only it were so simple. <laughs> Dan, I have just kind of gone off because I admit that that we've hit a personal note here. So I apologize if I'm not quite as succinct as usual. What are your thoughts on this? You're a dude. You've been in the dating world. Like, different perspective. Not even a different perspective. It's so funny because looking at this from the perspective of the man in this situation, I find myself wanting to help make this compliment work better. Yes, we'll try that angle. Why not? So I appreciated your saying, you know, it's not always the comment on the appearance that's the problem. It's the way it's done. It's how it's delivered and done well. It could make someone feel really good. I like your thought that it's not functional. It's not working when you tie it to some something negative about someone. The fact that they're still single, if if that's the or negative that you're situation, even assuming or assuming that that's a negative, right? It's exactly. Like, and he is in this case because she's on a dating site seeking to not be single. Sometimes yeah. wanting to give someone the benefit of the doubt, a compliment is built off this idea that you're, you're trying to notice something about someone. You're trying to respond to something that you're seeing from them or yeah. that you've noticed about them. It can show interest. I want to encourage people to increase the size of that toolbox. I like it. To think about noticing different things. Notice past behaviors. Notice qualities or, or noble attributes. You always bring a smile. You always remember people's name. You always ask such insightful questions. There are so many things that you can notice about someone that aren't just their appearance. And when there is a well-delivered comment about someone's appearance, I think it helps if there's some history. If you've does, got some yeah. some experience with someone, you had a sample script or something, you look so lovely tonight. And to me, that indicates that you're We're referencing the moment. The moment yeah. And there's also probably some shared history. You're in some ways comparing that to a previous time. You're noticing a little attention that someone's yeah. given to their appearance or you're noticing a particular quality they're okay. bringing to a moment. This is all great. But she's dealing with this online and they might not have had that history. My advice here is I would, depending on how much you like this guy, I would weigh how much you want to carry on after a comment like this. It's just up to you. It always is up to you. But I would also say that when you're in that online dating realm and you don't have all the wonderful history or those moments that Dan was just speaking about to draw upon to make a compliment on someone's looks really meaningful, I think you do want to be really careful. I think you can always start out with, wow, your picture really caught my eye, and then leave it at that and get to know the person after that. So it's funny. I feel like this advice has actually turned into advice for our gentlemen in this situation. But we're coming back to more than just a pretty face. When you do receive a comment like this, it's going to be up to you whether you choose to address it or not. So you might say, well, I can understand that a lot of people assume that. But to me, pretty and whether you're attached or not have never been connected. But I understand where your thought is coming from. You can give someone the benefit of that. You can be generous in your interactions with people. It's okay. If you just aren't having the time and space for that in your head and your heart right now, it's okay to let it go. And just like the other people you've probably moved on from on online dating to kind of, you know, say, you know, it's been really nice chatting with you, but I think I'm I'm probably going to move on and try to find some other folks. It really depends on how you feel about this person and how much you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that this was an honest mistake and not a targeted opinion and, and a real judgment of, you know, on you and your life. I agree completely. There is no onus on you to to bring the education. I think in some ways when someone makes a comment like that, they invite a reply. And if you want to engage, if you want to do a little bit of a deeper dive, I think you can. But I think that for me, part of the decision on whether or not I would want to go that route would be based on whether or not I thought I could handle it well. Yes. And by handle it well, I mean whether or not it would draw me into a place of negativity or a place where I was responding to rudeness with rudeness and – it's tough. I'm giving the earnest answer here. And in some ways, I would love a sarcastic and cutting and funny sample script. We are very good at those, too. But but unfortunately, I wouldn't want to surrender to that nope. part of my nature in a, in a circumstance or situation like this. I think yep. those are great among friends. And in some ways, I, I hear the spirit of that in the way this question is asked, that between us, we could say – all sorts of things, <laughs> things. <laughs> um, in reply to a question like this, but in real life, in the actual situation where you find yourself dealing with this kind of rudeness, I think that, that the good etiquette answer is that you're better served, not necessarily with grin and bear it, but with uh, a, a grin and let Move it go <laughs> or, or address it, but address it well. And I think that a comment like, I'm not sure those two things are connected 
Or I find it funny you think that if only it were so simple. You start to, while showing some good humor, also address what is substantively incorrect about what this person is assuming. and Without being super judgmental that they assumed it. I was sitting here cheering my cousin on as he, as he was giving this part of the answer because it just rings so true. You can have those slightly educational, slightly illuminating moments minus heavy rudeness or minus heavy attitude or, uh, you know, the negativity that comes with it. And I love the fact that what you're really thinking of is how can I protect myself and my mental space as I move forward? Because I think at the end of the day, most of us are just trying to have good days. We're trying to have positive interactions. And this gets at the idea of how you can make a choice about the negativity or the frustration or the positivity or the success that comes into your life in these little awkward moments. And what makes this particular kind of etiquette situation so difficult is that while it comes across as negative, while it can make you feel bad, it's probably true that it's not what the other person intended. Oh, my goodness. The other person, he's so intending to make her feel good. And that really (laughs) makes this awkward or difficult in some ways because how how do you let someone else know that they're making you feel bad without making them feel bad? That is a difficult task to take on. And I really think that if you're going to do it, you want to do it with a spirit that is generous. That is generous. Yeah. This is a, a particular type of etiquette problem that Lizzie and I talk about all the time. Yes. This is one of our favorite things to think about and to wrestle with. So I appreciate this particular version of this problem that you've brought to our doorstep. And while we don't have the, the perfect magic words that are going to, to charm and disarm every time, we hope that you move forward with confidence and feel good about your dating life. How do you choose a date? Whose company would you enjoy? What about Anne? She knows how to have a good time and how to make the fellow with her relax, have fun too. Yes, that's what a boy likes. He wants to know he's appreciated. Our next question is titled, About That Meeting. (laughs) Hey guys, I'm a fan of the podcast and learn so much from it. However, I'm a bit of a completist. I like to listen and watch things from the very beginning. I just barely found your podcast and I'm still on episode 140. Anywho, I have found myself in a bit of trouble at work. I am the youngest in the office by almost 10 years. Besides the age gap, I am also fairly inexperienced and have been learning on the job. Meetings happen around here all the time, especially for the senior staff. However, it's been two or three times where there's been a meeting that's apparently for the whole office, yet I somehow don't get notified. I then get asked why I didn't show up after the meeting is over. I'm a bit timid and wouldn't want to just invite myself to these meetings, but I also don't want to seem standoffish if I don't go. How should I approach this if I do catch wind of a meeting before it happens, and what should I do if I happen to miss it? If you could help me out, this would be amazing. I am just not certain of how to go about this and would love another opinion. Thanks, Jenny. Ooh, Jenny! Jenny, thank you for the question. The The first thought that comes to my mind is that it sounds to me like you're joining a team where people know each other. Yeah. That you're getting to know an organizational culture and the type of navigation that you're doing in this new territory is not uncommon. Oftentimes organizations have an internal logic or language that they might not even be aware is at play. I am going to uh, take the most generous approach I can <laughs> and assume that this is unintentional. That the person who's asking you afterwards why you weren't at the meeting is asking because they really were hoping that you would be there or thought you would be or should be and that it's not about. Yeah, it's concern. There's concern here. Yeah, exactly. And and an effort to include. And maybe that's a way to say, boy, I think that you should be at these meetings or I'd like to get you to these meetings or there are all kinds of ways I could interpret that. Okay. Particular ask. Can I give the ungenerous thought here? Can I do the, the like not etiquette side of it? I find it suspect that at a whole staff meeting, when you don't see a member present, that you wouldn't go get them and say, hey, did you know we're starting the meeting? I've got to be honest that I find the office really, really not in good stead here because when we used to be a bigger office, if someone wasn't at the table for a meeting they were supposed to be at, we went and got them or found out why there was a delay. And I find this to be a little like, well, we don't invite you and then we blame you for not showing up. 
to me, let's take it straight to HR, take it straight to a supervisor. I think this has to be talked about. As you point out, there's some dysfunctional communication in this organization somewhere. Either people aren't being invited or someone's behavior is being commented on in a way that's not appropriate. And But I do think there are situations where organizational culture almost becomes a secret language and people aren't always necessarily aware that that it's developed, that a a little discussion happens and a meeting is agreed to and people don't even realize that they haven't included everyone. Usually this was everyone, but now there's someone new who's there. And then afterwards they say, well, so-and-so should have been here. What's the deal? I think an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think you want to talk to someone, you want to get an ally, and maybe it's a boss or a supervisor. Maybe it's a coworker that you have a particularly good relationship with. Maybe it's the person who's made this comment a couple times and just let them know, say, you know, I didn't hear about that meeting. If you could, the next time you see this happening, give me a call. I will hustle over there. I'd love to be involved. I'd like to be involved. Express your enthusiasm, express your interest, express your regret that you weren't included, and then solve the problem for the future. Create that plan that other people know you want to be included in this if you're supposed to be for sure, and that you're seeking to be in to actually get there to make the effort. So that's the before beforehand advice. Okay, right. Talk to people about being included in whatever type of communication gets these meetings set up and scheduled. And that might be about getting involved on a certain calendar or a certain email list. But it might be water cooler discussions that you just have to explicitly ask that you're included in. If you catch wind of a meeting and you're still not sure whether you should show up or not, you can always ask, who's the organizer? Should I reach out to them and find out if it's important for me to be there? And I think it's okay to make that ask, particularly because you've been asked this question after – other meetings a couple of times. In fact, I think it's wise and advisable that you ask that question. What do you do if you happen to miss a meeting? Again, you can ask who the organizer was, who had notes, who you could talk to about what happened at the meeting and whether there's anything you can do to support that project or if it would be helpful for you to be there next time. Definitely you can do follow up. Again, particularly because you've been asked by people Why weren't you there? What was the deal? And I think that has opened some doors for you to play a little more active role and to ask some questions about how you can participate. Jenny, it's okay to ask these questions. Like, it really is. It's it's okay to say, oh, I would have loved to have been there. You know, what can we do to make sure that happens next time? I just think that it's okay. I know um, you're 10 years younger than most of the people there. You got hired. You're meant to be a part of that team of people making this company run. And I always like giving folks who are who are new at a job confidence to jump in and be an active participant. And that's OK. Absolutely. And if you're wondering exactly what to say, answer the question that's asked. In your question, you ask, I get asked why I didn't show up at the meeting. The reply there is very clear. I wasn't aware it was happening. Let people know exactly why. And there's nothing wrong about that. Oftentimes when... We refer to our core principles of etiquette, consideration, respect, and honesty. I find the most difficult or trickiest questions are best addressed with that honesty, that third principle of etiquette. And when you answer both with honesty but also with sincerity, mm-hmm. it's not going to be hurtful. It's not accusational. It's not, well, because I wasn't told about it. It's because I wasn't exactly sure. I wasn't sure that it was happening or, or I, didn't I didn't know, know about it. No, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been invited to the meeting actually might be a good one too. The one thing you want to do is when you say it, make sure that your tone doesn't suggest that you're expecting a certain reply. So you can say, well, I wasn't invited to the meeting. And that's really like giving attitude and expecting that someone would be like, oh, I didn't know. You know, you just have no you have no way of knowing what's going on here. So I would be really careful about putting any edge in my voice when I say it. I would say I would have been happy to be there. Unfortunately, I actually wasn't invited. So I didn't think I was supposed to be in the meeting. Didn't even know about didn't it. know about the meeting to know. (laughs) And I think that as long as you keep the enthusiasm about wanting to participate a part of that, then you're going to be in really good stead. Jenny, we hope that helps and that you continue to smoothly make the transition into this new organization. And I'm sure they really appreciate your fresh young perspective as well. First, of course, know your work. Enjoy it. But also enjoy the people you're working with. Be considerate of them. And be considerate of your employer. Our next question is titled, The Pitfalls of Farewell. And this is actually almost like what happened to you guys this weekend, but not quite. (laughs) 
Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I wanted to start out by saying I absolutely love your podcast and I'm finding myself using the sample scripts more and more. Oh, good. My question is about hosting duties. I sit on a board with a few friends and acquaintances. Often meetings end with a trip to the pub for a beer or two. And when there's a lull, I, living one block from the pub, usually invite folks back to my house to extend the get-together. One particular board member is a nice guy and I enjoy spending an hour or so every few weeks with him and my other friends. The problem is, the last two or three times he's come over, he has ended up staying until the very end after everyone else leaves. My fiancé and I both work relatively early in the morning, and this gentleman does not seem to pick up on our cues that the gathering has ended. We use the following as indicators and language. Yawning. Mentioning how early we are having to wake up and how tired we are. Tidying the kitchen and loading the dishwasher. Asking what time he works in the a.m. Offering him a refill, even though neither of us are having anything. He still doesn't move. He even once took us up on the refill, forcing me to open another bottle of wine, which was so surprising because I thought it was part of the host-guest dance to refuse. And the host to say, are you sure? And the guest to say, oh no, I must be (laughs) going. You two have an early morning. I have had him over, and he comes empty-handed and has done the same thing, staying hours and hours and never returning the invite or hospitality. My questions are, is it okay for me to not invite him over in the first place? I feel so rude when a group of us are standing in the parking lot to invite some, not others. Two, how do I get him to leave my house if he is there and doesn't seem to pick up on cues? Thanks for your help. Sincerely, Apprehensive Host. Oh, Apprehensive Host, have we all been there, dealt with this? Isn't it wonderful when people don't pick up on cues? <laughs> I'm loving just the use of the language host guest dance like our, I'm hearing our language come back at us. No, and, and it's so it's so affirming. Thank you so much. What do we say? You know you've been heard when someone can repeat back what, what you've, you've said. just said. Yeah, no, very affirming. Very affirming. This is definitely an example of a bad partner. <laughs> To extend the metaphor just a little bit in the host-guest dance. I would say that this is not quite the host-guest dance. I'll be honest. First of all, you never want to offer something with the intention of having it refused. That's not a part of the host-guest dance. It's not, oh, please stay. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. Oh, please have some more. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. You never want to set that up for yourself. Because a host should be offering what they're willing to give. There shouldn't be any kind of expectation that a guest should somehow pick up that they are supposed to refuse. That's placing way too much assumption on everybody. And I think it's one of the wonderful practicalities that even our great-great-grandmother infused into her etiquette. was like, no, 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 cut through that and and get to the point. So all of your your yawning, your talking about your early morning, your talking about his early morning potential are all great indicators. It's when you get to the refill that you're not serving yourself well. And so don't offer your guests more. In fact, one of our suggestions when it comes time to close down a party, close down the bar, put the food away. Don't give your guests more things to engage with. In fact, we even say if it's getting really bad, the language you need to say is, boy, Jimmy, thanks so much for coming over, but we got we got to hit the hay. So we're unfortunately going to have to lovingly kick you out <laughs> like or something with that kind of good humor, good nature. But it's time to go. I need to make this clear is actually perfectly fine because you've gone through the yawns and you've done the dishes and you've put away the food and you're not offering your guest more. I thought this was an interesting take on the host guest dance. And I wanted to clarify that it's the host guest dance is often more about offering what you can, but asking questions in such a way that you're getting to solutions. So when we talk about it in terms of dietary restrictions, you as the guest say, you know, I have a dietary restriction. I'd be happy to take care of a dish for myself. And then it gives the host the chance to say, oh, thank you. That would be such a great helper. Oh, no, I would love to. That's the kind of dance we're talking about where the imposition isn't on anyone. But if you offer them something that's going to be an imposition for you, then you're not setting that dance up quite well enough for yourself to be a confident and good partner in it. I do think once you find yourself in this situation, you really need to take the lead (laughs) and you need to help your guest be a better guest. And I think all those things are really good ideas. And that that explicit direction is probably the way that you're going to end things. Clearly, partings are an important part of good etiquette. People spend so much time thinking about introductions, how you begin things. And Sometimes we're not as good at how we end things. (laughs) Those can be some of the trickier moments. There is also the question here of how this begins. And is there an obligation to invite someone to begin with? And 
The answer is absolutely no. And <laughs> this also speaks to me about bad dance partners. People don't want to dance with them always. <laughs> um, sometimes the challenge of determining how good a dancer you are is how well you perform with partners of any skill level. Sure. But you're not always up for that challenge. Sometimes you really want a partner who's who, who knows the steps. Jimmy's and not a great guest. Let's quit Jimmy inviting him to things. And what are some of the things Jimmy misses? He doesn't reciprocate. Yep. He doesn't leave. He takes advantage of his host's generosity or it feels like he's taking Doesn't advantage of his host's generosity. Doesn't offer to contribute. Doesn't show up with anything in hand yeah. ever. Now, one thing I will say to that, though, is that the invitations seem to be coming at the end of these meetings. They all sit on a board together. So I'm thinking impromptu. Impromptu often means someone won't be bringing something. Sure, you could stop at a store on the block and pick up a bottle of wine or something like that or at least make the offer to. But I'm not getting the sense that Jimmy's being invited to backyard barbecues a week in advance where he can really plan or offer to contribute. So let me just that one fairness there. No. And and if the whole board is being invited to a barbecue a week in advance, I would say you probably – there is some expectation that you would invite everybody. Yeah. If you're talking about extending a friendly get-together where after work or after meeting socialization is getting continued, there isn't necessarily an obligation to invite everyone. But right. you do want to be careful about how it's done. There is the the potential to make someone feel excluded, mm-hmm. to have someone feel hurt or left out, or feel as if they've been intentionally excluded. And even if they have been, it's because of past behavior. Part of good etiquette is making other people feel good and not really sort of delivering that in a way that really makes someone feel bad, I think, is is part of good etiquette. So if you wanted to invite some people over to your house after but not others, I say do it in private, do it on the side. Plan ahead of time probably. You could say, hey, guys, please feel free to come back. I'm not inviting everyone from the meeting tonight just as a heads up. I think that's a really good sample script. Apprehensive host, I hope that we've given you enough information to be a little less apprehensive about hosting. It really is okay to ask someone to leave when the night is over and when it's time for you to get to bed, particularly on a work night. Keeping that humor in place is really important. I also think that you're wise to think about inviting some people but not others when you're extending a social activity that's been a group activity or when you're inviting people that are part of an organization or a group to do something. But I also think that as a host, you have some prerogative. And as long as you take some care with how you do that, it really is up to you. But what else makes a good party? Leave on time and courteously too, thanking your host sincerely for the good time you've had. All these things help to make a good party, a party that's fun for all. We hope that your host guest dance in the future is absolutely flawless with every step in time. Thank you for your questions. You can send updates or comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And this week, Reka wrote in about recently we had a question about a woman who had gotten married and kept her name. But her mother-in-law, after being told, keeps using the name as if she has taken her family name. And we explored that a little bit. And Reka had, I thought, just a really great story of advice. And she said, my husband and I just celebrated our 25th anniversary and I kept my last name. Like many people, I faced the exact dilemma as your questioner this past week from several family members, including my in-laws. I thought your advice was spot on. And what my husband and I discovered in our early conversations about the subject were a few concerns. My mother-in-law had a hard time imagining how the future children would feel like part of one family if we, their parents, had different last names. She worried what their last names would be. Our turning point was when my poor father-in-law at one point earlier in our marriage had arranged for a family trip but mistakenly used the wrong last name for me and I was stuck at the airport for a while explaining and reworking the tickets with a six-month-old baby in my arms and the entire family standing together watching it all unfold. Thank goodness that was long before 9-11. But my strategy has been to let the name go with people who matter less to me 
Like my elderly aunt, I seldom see. But I have let people who matter to me know I kept my name because I love it. My family and my cultural heritage, which differs from that of my husband's, are all things that I embrace. At the kids' school, sometimes I answer to Mrs. Victor, sometimes to Mrs. Shukla. Sometimes my husband gets Mr. Shukla. At one point, our eldest son's nickname on a team was my last name. Go figure. The jumble of it all has made us a family. We didn't want to lose any of that in our marriage. Our choice was to have our children have both our names with mine as their middle name. That followed my husband's family tradition. As for my mother-in-law, we lost her last year, and I miss her every day. My best to you both, Reka. And then I actually followed up with Reka, and um, I asked her if she could elaborate on that moment at the airport. Like, was it that? Did people talk about it afterwards, or was it just that this moment made it so obvious how much that not paying attention to the name is, you know, is, or how important that is. So uh, Reka said, oh, I'm so glad this is helpful. Listening to that question this morning brought back so many memories. As for your questions, my son is now 21, so this was quite a long time ago. But I think that truly it was just the realization that, hey, they are a real family, Greg, Reka, and little Nikhil. Her official documents don't say the last name as the rest of us, but having screwed up this little thing by not remembering her last name, it created a truly awkward moment. People were wondering, will they let her on the flight? My poor father-in-law felt terrible. I did get on the plane with everyone else, but they never forgot it after that. I think it just, to me, it shows how, wow, a moment can really show that level of impact. You don't need to create that moment (laughs) for any of those out there thinking, hey, maybe I can get my moment. But I thought it was such a good story of how this is really important. This really does affect lives. And I love that Reka has the mental space to say, with my great aunt who I seldom see, I don't worry about it. But with people who are going to be booking plane tickets for me or hanging out with me regularly, I just I like the flexibility that she has and yet the importance that she saves. I also love the term that mental space that she allows for understanding where someone else's perspective might come from, that there were concerns and questions about how her choice to keep her name would affect the children, would affect family cohesion, but then also talked about how some of those concerns played out over time. Yeah. And how this this jumble is one of the things that makes them such a unique family and, and really is part of their family identity. Yeah. I, I think that's lovely. It's a real way to embrace it. I love it. We also have feedback from Hope, whom I believe you know. Dan and Lizzie. On a recent show, you discussed various times and ways to use a car horn. I hope you'll share with your listeners that it is not appropriate, needed, or safe to beep your horn when passing someone on a bicycle. This is for two reasons, both because we can hear you coming and because the beep is unexpected and startling to the rider. Please just pass us when it is safe to do so, giving the bike at least three feet of space. I am currently on a two-week bike trip in Quebec with Dan's parents. <laughs> we are finding the drivers here to be very respectful of bikers and lots of marked bike lanes and signs reminding bikers and drivers to share the road. I enjoy your podcast each week and the broad range of topics you cover. Hope. And finally, we have a sweet and saucy piece of feedback from Courtney. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast. Thank you. Just a very quick comment. I celebrated the big 4-0, as I think Dan did, too. Happy birthday, Dan. Thank you so much. <laughs> Dan's so psyched to be 40. <laughs> and my husband took me to the nicest restaurant in our city. They gave us complimentary bread, which we used on some of the leftover sauce on our appetizers. I kept telling my husband, this is okay. The post said it's okay, because I still felt like maybe I shouldn't. But I went for it and rocked it. Anyway. I just want to say thank you for helping me eat even more amazingness at a restaurant I hardly ever get to go to, Courtney. Courtney, thank you so much. Congratulations on your big 4-0. That is a fun milestone to mark. I'm curious if she put it on the end of the fork and dipped it in or if she was ripping with her fingers because we don't know the type of restaurant and like casual place you i'd get away with the little finger dip you know i don't know lizzie just making allowances all over the place right and center i also love this idea that feeling confident about your table manners opens doors to culinary experiences that might otherwise make you feel awkward but it really helps you enjoy them and and that's really the point of the etiquette sauce is so good 
Thank you so much for your feedback. For sending us your thoughts and updates, please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or question or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. Today's postscript is from Emily herself and is a delicious description of giving a dinner in a great house, the kind of dinner that has a full staff and is run by a host who is experienced both with her social circle and her home. We sure don't hear about many dinners like this anymore, and it's interesting to think that while descriptions like this ended up in Emily's book, she also handled questions like, my daughter wants to send a boy she's been pals with a signed photograph of herself. I know. It's like she really ran the gamut. (laughs) So this is on page 177 of Emily's 1922 edition, and it's titled How a Dinner is Given in a Great House. When Mrs. Worldly gives a dinner, it means no effort on her part whatsoever beyond deciding upon the date and the principal guests who are to form the nucleus. Every further detail is left to her subordinates, even to the completion of her list of guests. For instance, she decides that she will have an older dinner— And finding that the 10th is available for herself, she tells her secretary to send out invitations for that date. She does not have special cards engraved, but uses the dinner blank described in the chapter on invitations. She then looks through her dinner list and orders her secretary to invite the old worlds, the eminents, the learneds, the well-borns, the highbrows, and the once-wers. She also picks out three or four additional names to be substituted for those who regret. Then, turning to the younger married list, she searches for a few suitable but amusing or good-looking ones to give life to her dinner, which might otherwise be heavy. But her favorites do not seem appropriate. It will not do to ask the Bobo Gildings, not because of the difference in age, but because Lucy Gilding smokes like a furnace and is miserable unless she can play bridge for high stakes, and just as soon as she can bolt through dinner, sit at the card table, while Mrs. Highbrow and Mrs. Onceworth quite possibly disapprove of women smoking and are surely horrified at gambling. The Smartlings won't do either, for the same reason, nor the Gailies. She can't ask the Newell Riches either, because Mrs. Oldworld and Mrs. Wellborn both dislike vulgarity too much to find compensation in qualities which are merely amusing. So she ends by adding her own friends, the Kindhearts and the Normans, who go with everyone, and a few somewhat younger people, and approves her secretary's suggestions as to additional names if those first invited should regret. The list being settled, Mrs. Worldly's own work is done. She sends word to her cook that there will be 24 on the 10th. The menu will be submitted to her later, which she will probably merely glance at and send back. She never sees or thinks about her table, which is in the butler's province. On the morning of the dinner, her secretary brings her the place cards, the name of each person expected written on a separate card, and she puts them in the order in which they are to be placed on the table, very much as though playing solitaire. Starting with her own card at one end and her husband's at the other, she first places the lady of honor on his right, the second in importance on his left. Then on either side of herself, she puts the two most important gentlemen. The other she fits in between trying to seat side by side those congenial to each other. When the cards are arranged, the secretary attends to putting the name of the lady who sits on each gentleman's right in the envelope addressed to him. She then picks up the place cards still stacked in their proper sequence and takes them to the butler who will put them in the order arranged on the table after it is set. Fifteen minutes before the dinner hour, Mrs. Worldly is already standing in her drawing room. She has no personal responsibility other than that of being hostess. The whole machinery of equipment and service runs seemingly by itself. It does not matter whether she knows what the menu is. Her cook is more than capable of attending to it. That the table shall be perfect is merely the everyday duty of the butler. She knows without looking that one of the chauffeurs is on the sidewalk 
that the footmen are in the hall, that her own maid is in the ladies' dressing room, and that the valet in that of the gentleman, and that her butler is just outside the door near which she is standing. So with nothing on her mind except a jeweled ornament and perfectly done hair, she receives her guests with the tranquility attained only by those whose household, whether great or small, can be counted on to run like a perfectly coordinated machine. Woo! That is some kind of dinner. Go, Emily. Boy, Dan, imagine if that was how you and Pooja had set up your weekend party with the whole family coming to visit. Like, imagine if you just got to tell them the names and then the food and the people and everything. It just showed up and the house was ready and all of that. My goodness, what a nice life you lead, Emily. Butlers, cooks, and caretakers would have been (laughs) delightful, although... I think the lesson I'm learning as I I hear her talk is that that took some work and some management as well. As to be told in the next segment from this section, which is how a dinner can be bungled. And you get the story of a young newlywed whose house isn't experienced yet and how much that can make exactly the scene we just saw not happen in the slightest. (laughs) As always, there is a, a, a great deal of work that goes into making anything seem effortless. Definitely bookmark that. We'll have to get back to it. Absolutely. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's comes from Hope, who had a simple and sweet salute that has stuck in her mind. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have an etiquette salute that happened all the way back in January, and you finally convinced me to send it in after your plea due to the etiquette salute shortage. And we so appreciate the the cue that we have now of etiquette salutes. Do keep them coming. They give us such hope, all of us. In January, my washing machine broke and filled with what smelled like sewer water. In the midst of a panic, I loaded up my wet, stinky clothes and dragged them to the laundromat to try to wash out the smell. When I was finished and had loaded up my two baskets of clothes, I was carrying one out to the car when I noticed a man stop what he was doing, follow me to the door, open it for me, and then went back to get my other basket and load it in my trunk. He didn't really say much, but just saw I could use some assistance and just did it. He wasn't anybody I would have paid attention to. An older man with a scruffy beard and baggy clothes, minding his own business while I minded mine. However, for him to stop, notice, and decide to help, walking out into the cold with the ground covered in snow, has stuck out in my mind as the kindest thing someone could have done in that moment. It was so simple, but in my frazzled situation, that kindness went a long way. I very much enjoy the podcast and look forward to it every week. Thank you for making modern etiquette so available in a world that needs it. Sincerely, Hope. Hope you are appropriately named. Thank you for sharing this this moment with all of us and for reminding us that those simple moments stick with us and fuel us. You've really given us some food for thought, and I will be looking for my opportunity to do something nice for someone today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please do help us out. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Who didn't bring us blueberry muffins today. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> there seem to be many different opinions, even among our own gang. What do you think?